The scripture reading is from uh, Proverbs chapter 6, but just to let you know, we're going to actually be looking at another verse that has to do with uh, Proverbs chapter 6. If you have your scriptures with you, open them to Proverbs chapter 10, and we'll be reading from verses 6 through 14. So now hear the word of God. Blessed are on the head of the righteous, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, But the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. This is the word of the Lord. You know, the uh, book of Proverbs has uh, many of these types of sayings that have to do with words. And we've been looking over the past few weeks and will uh, over the next two weeks uh, at the seven things that God hates. Now, all of us have ideas in our mind of what God hates, but... The Bible describes a different group of things that God hates, and it's uh, probably not the same group that we uh, often have. Uh, There there are uh, seven things that God hates. Haughty eyes, this is from Proverbs 6. A heart that devises wicked plans, lying speech, false witness, hands that shed innocent blood, and feet that make haste to run to evil, and sow discord. And so over the past few weeks, we have looked at the haughty eyes. That's the attitude of pride and arrogance that exists in the heart of the wicked and the worthless. Now, I've told you each week, I do not consider, and nor should you, that you as believers in Jesus Christ are wicked and worthless. But the sage is describing a wicked and worthless person for whom there is no redemption. This person's heart is so fixed on evil and wickedness, they're lost. And what the sage is asking you and I, and particularly our young people to do, is to look and see, observe and compare. And what he's saying is, when you as a believer uh, find your heart resonating or vibrating with these seven things that God hates, they are to be red flags to you. You see, they don't just all go away when we become Christians. We have a lifetime of learning ahead of us. A lifetime of progress. A lifetime of what we call sanctification. And you may struggle all your life long with certain things. But the idea is that you are struggling that you're recognizing those things to be bad, and that you are working along with the power of Holy Spirit in your life to remove those things from you. And you're not to lose heart. 
that God has given you the tools necessary, His Holy Spirit being the primary tool, that will then rid you over time of these things. Or at least in some degree of these things. Pride, arrogance, heart, a thought life that is devising or crafting evil plans. In other words, you're thinking about things that you shouldn't be and you're also plotting and working out things against others and even against yourself sometimes that are not in accord with God's Word. And now we've come to this part about lying speech, crooked uh, and perverse speech, and a false witness. Our words. How we use our words. One of the most sensitive things I think in our lives is the words we use and the words we hear. Nothing is more destructive than a critical and harmful word. It's like poison. And it's something you can never take back. I know that every one of you, including our kids, you have said things in your life, and, and once the words come out, it's like this. You're grabbing, go, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, you want them back, but they're gone. They're out there now. It's like the internet. Once something's out there on the internet, it's never gone. You can delete all day from your computer, folks. On some server somewhere in, in China is what you said. Or that link you clicked on, or whatever it is, okay? So you gotta know that words are extraordinarily powerful. They're extraordinarily powerful. They also can be a healing bomb. Words can do more to comfort, to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to make wise people than anything else. Words are immensely important. And human beings are unique in that we have a broad and very detailed uh, language. Let me read you a couple of Proverbs and then we'll get into the the sermon. Uh, uh, And the first one I want to read to you is from Proverbs 25. Just listen, don't turn over there. You can make a note, look at it later. But just listen, let the words come and kind of wash over you. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold. Listen to this, the beauty. Apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. In other words, if your heart is softened and tender to God, open to Him, then Words will, in fact, change and reshape your heart. One of the saddest things about being a pastor or a counselor is to sit across the table from someone and be speaking truth to them and watch their eyes glaze over. Yes? Some of you know that in your own lives. You talk to your children and your children, you know, you've got them for a second and then their eyes glaze over, especially sometimes when they get a little older. You know, I'm not doing what you say. You keep talking, but I'm not listening. Yes? How about our spouses? I mean, I I tell Marty V, I speak wisdom to my wife all day long. She, yeah. <laughs> and she to me. 
But what about that? When you're, when you're in a discussion, maybe an argument with your... So you may be speaking absolute truth, but you see the glaze start to form and they're not listening. A soft and spacious and teachable heart will take in even a rebuke. How about this one? This is from uh, uh, Proverbs 20, 26, uh, starting in 22. 22 and following. But just listen again. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into a man's innermost parts. Isn't that something? It's like swallowing poison. Speaking in, hearing, gossip. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Okay? Uh, A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming... Do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. What we say, our words, and whether they're spoken out loud to another or the self-talk self-dialogue that goes inside of us. Sometimes, you know, there's, I don't know, how many of you, don't raise your hands, but I mean, all of us have this tape running all the time, don't we? Well, not anymore. It's Now it's digital. It's an MP3 going in your head. Tell how old I am. There's this thing going on in your head all the time, and it's speaking things to you. It's your heart speaking. And sometimes it's good stuff, and sometimes it's not so good. And so, the heart, we looked at last week, is the most important anthropological term in the Old Testament and in the New, for that matter. And Dr. Walke, in his commentary, says there's no English equivalent. And so what I suggested to you, and and this is very pertinent, what goes on in the heart is not separate from what goes on in the mind. Did you all get that last week? I'm trying to make the point that we in the West tend to separate heart and make them feelings and mind and tend to make them rational thought. But in the Hebrew world, in the ancient Near East entirely, and in much of the rest of the world, that was unknown. Human beings were a whole. They were a unit. They were not separate heart and mind. We think of heart as feelings, mind as rational thought. But you need to put them back together because a disintegrated soul, a soul that it's torn apart by sin, will naturally do that. And will say, no, you can't trust your feelings. You can only go by your rational mind. That's the exaltation of the mind over the heart. And some people, is, I, I just go by my intuitions and what I feel and never mind the facts. Don't bother me with the facts. Right? And what... The Old Testament does is he puts them back together. The heart and mind are together. It depends on where those thoughts are in your heart. What is most precious? What is most valuable? So listen to this quote and then we'll begin. I'll give you your outline in a second. Contempt for others in the heart that then can be spoken. Contempt for others and for the sanctity of their reputation is but a step away from contempt for the sanctity of life itself. That's a commentator plot. He is saying that if there is contempt and hatred and evil and wickedness down in the heart, that eventually it will be spoken, but 
that is the seed of germination for how you feel about people around you. And this is the basis for Jesus saying, if you say to your brother, fool, oreka, you have just murdered your brother. Yes? Do you see it? Do you see the picture there? That words matter because they are a mirror to your soul. And words matter because they, listen, can reshape your soul. They're a a mirror and they can reshape. So, look very quickly at verse 10 of uh, this uh, chapter 10. And this is a hinge, what's called a hinge verse. The sage uses verse 10 to separate the proverb, and this is how we'll look at it and will be your outline for today. The hinge looks in two directions. Uh, technically, it's called a Janus. You know the Janus masks, uh, evil face, smiley face. The Janus looks both ways. The mask is, is one side a smiley face, the other side uh, a frown, and they, but they're one mask and they look two ways. So the hinge looks both ways. And look at verse 10. Whoever winks with his eye, this is a... Uh, uh, of a uh, anthropological uh, communication. He's winking. He's making a signal. He's speaking with his with his body. Whoever winks with his eye causes trouble. And then in your in your notes, you put for others. He's saying winks with the eye. He's trying to cause trouble through his communication for others. But listen to the second verse, the part B of the proverb. The babbling fool, that's the one who winks with his eye, the babbling fool comes to the ruin. That's for himself. So this person that Proverbs 10 is looking at is somebody who is communicating and harming others and harming himself. And so that's uh, your outline. We're going to look at three things today very quickly. The effect of our words... On ourselves. How our words, our speech, affect us. Secondly, how our words and our speech affect others. And finally, how God's Word affects us. How God's Word affects us. So our effect of our words on others, uh, the uh, um, effect of our words on ourselves, and the effect of God's Word on us. There's your outline. Here's the effect of God's words on ourselves. Here's the hinge or the Janus, if you will. The sage looking at the destruction to others and then in a moment we'll see the other side of it, the other part of the hinge of verse 10. It's 11 through 14. As he looks to how our speech uh, harms uh, ourselves. So, Proverbs 18 says this, very familiar verse, all of you know this, life and death are in the power of what? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now what the sage is saying is the power of the tongue is not rhetorical skill. It's not your ability to be a great and magnificent orator like me. There's a... It's not about the rhetorical skill, it's about the content of those words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. In other words, what we say to one another, our self-dialogue, what we're saying to ourselves and listening to ourselves and believing about ourselves, this dialogue, these words are constantly shaping us. 
and life and death are in the power of those words. They are, have the power, in other words, because they contain truth or error, lies, gossip, crookedness, whatever they may be, those words have the power to shape. Think about this, folks. They have the power to shape what you believe. Your children are going to believe what you say to them. This is one of the reasons why we practice infant baptism, folks. We practice infant baptism because we want those babies to grow up all their life knowing they belong to us. They belong to God. We want to inculcate that into their little lives the whole time they're growing up. Not that you're outside and need to come in. You're inside and need to be who you are. Our Jewish friends in the synagogue here would never dream in a million years of telling their children, you're not a Jew until you decide you are. It was foreign to them. And in most of the rest of the world, it is foreign to people. Families in any other culture besides the individualistic West always live in community. Your children are yours the day they're born, yes? My boys don't decide when they become Isaacs. They were Isaacs the day they were born, for good or for better. Some was not so good. But I would never disown my children, right? And nor would you. And so we say these things. What we say to our children matter. You're a loser. You're a bum. You're lazy. Those words kill. They destroy. They cause them to start thinking of themselves in the wrong way. On the other hand, you don't tell your children, oh, you're the greatest. You're the smartest. You're the best. You're the fastest. You can jump the highest. You can leap tall buildings in a single bound. Now you're describing somebody in a red suit with a, red, a blue suit and a red cape. You're not describing a human being any longer, and so you can distort your words on the other side. You can flatter and build up the little exalted ones to where they think that they're the most special thing in the world, and they're not. And at the same time, you can crush them down to the ground. Every one of you knows what I'm talking about because every one of us has been wounded by words. Yes? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Who wrote that? The devil wrote that. Sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but break my bones, but words will never hurt. Come on, they hurt. And they can go with you your whole life long. So life and death are in the power of the tongue. They shape our beliefs. They shape our convictions. What is most important to us? They shape the effect of our lives. And words have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. The way the book of Proverbs, I just read you the verse, they are a fountain of life. In other words, words kind of bubble up and they bring life or they bring death. They can be filled with life or they can be filled with death. So the effect of the words on others. Let's quickly look at this little, this little section, six through, uh, 6 through 9, and uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. Blessings are on the head of the righteous uh, versus the wicked uh, is in verse 6. What he's saying here is that blessings 
Barakah in Hebrew, fill the life of the righteous person. In this context, that word means that you, your life is a blessing. You are filled with, in fact, literally, you could say you're filled with the potency of life to reproduce to create wealth. Now, don't think just strictly in money, but to create prosperity in the sense of well-being for those around you. You might be poor as a church mouse, but you are a generous person. You are a person who cares about others. You have a spaciousness in your life that receives and welcomes others. There's a potency for life in you. You are a blessing in yourself. A blessing versus the wicked man. And it says here that the violent cover their mouth. This means they have the potency to reproduce death. The reproduce death. That is the effect of the words of the righteous versus the words of the wicked on ourselves. Look at verse 7. This is fascinating to me. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. In other words, their legacy continues beyond their life. Uh, Rick mentioned our dear friend Gene Dawson. Some of you met Gene. I've known Gene for 37 years. Took flying lessons from him. Marty V took flying lessons from him. My parents took flying lessons from him. My brother David took flying lessons from him and many other people. And we were good friends with the Dawsons for all of those years. Gene Dawson saved the life of my father-in-law, flew him out of Baja, California when he was having a heart attack at night in Mexico, which is illegal, but Gene knew how to do it. He was an ex-Marine uh, fighter pilot and he, he broke every rule possible, got my father-in-law back to El Paso in time and saved his life. And this man just died. I buried him, I did the ceremony, I stood over his, his uh, uh, urn of ashes, and we put him to rest. And I promise you, his life, the place was packed, the funeral home was packed, they, everybody came out. He was buried with full military honors, 21-gun salute by a marine detail, hard to find in El Paso. His memory is a blessing to those who knew Him. His legacy continues. And many of you know what I'm talking about. I think of my grandparents. I think of aunts and uncles and friends who we've lost in the past. Their legacy continues. Their memory of the righteous is a blessing. Yes? And we continue to think about them. Look at what it says. Verses... The name of the wicked that rots. In other words, their memory, their legacy is forgotten. There are probably people in your life when they died, you're thank God they're gone. We would never say that because we're good people, right? We would never let anyone think that. But in our hearts, we're saying, man, I'm glad that person is dead. They were so evil, so bad, they caused so much harm. And we have mixed feelings sometimes about those people that die who we didn't like. You know, we feel bad that we didn't like them. We feel bad that they're gone. But we also feel good that they're gone. You see, their legacy rots. So what he's saying is that these words that shape and form you make you who you are in the sense that 
your legacy will be remembered or forgotten. Look at verse 8. The wise heart receives commandments. In other words, they're teachable. Like I said, it's one of the saddest things in the world to sit across the table from somebody and tell them the truth of the Gospel and they look right back at you and say, no. In fact, I know more about the Bible than you do. Oh, really? Well, you want to have a Bible trivia quiz? You know, most of them, I can crush you. Because I know more of the Bible than all of you. Okay, I'm kidding a little bit. But come on, I mean, you know, people know more than you, right? And so somebody's sitting across the table and they're giving you wisdom, what's better? you better listen, right? But so many people just glaze over. I know more than you. Well, no, you don't. I may know something you don't know. I know one thing. Never mind. <laughs> All right. So you know the heart, a wise heart, and I'm talking now to you, will receive command. You will listen. Uh, you, you will let the Word of God work and massage on your heart. The babbling fool comes to ruin. That means he's unteachable and his life is a babble. In other words, he's incoherent. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody like that? You go, what are they talking about? You just can't get because their words... They're just not all together inside. Alright. Finally, verse 9, integrity and security versus the crooked who will be found out. He's saying that a wise man, a man whose words have shaped his life in the way of wisdom, lives in a certain sense of security. Now, peace in the Bible does not mean absence of trouble, does it? It does not mean absence of trouble. What does it mean? What does peace at its very root mean in the life of someone who believes that God is in control of their life? Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the what? The presence of God, even in the midst of that trouble. And so he's saying that the wise will live with that integrity. In other words, they will be put together. They won't be flying apart all the time. Their life will not be in pieces over against the crooked who will be found out. In other words, their life is exposed. You know, folks, we, I, I talk to you about this all the time. Listen, we are experts. We grow up from the time we're little kids learning to conceal who we really are. And some of that is good. You should be discreet. You shouldn't overshare. Remember what we say? Oversharing, you're telling us too much. You don't want to just expose everything about yourself. But there is a, a hypocrisy, if you will, that just has rooted itself down into the church to where we don't even, we're not even real anymore. We're plastic Christians. And there is an authenticity, I know the word's overused today, but there is an authenticity that people are desiring to hear. They want to know that you're a real person, that you struggle with certain things, and that you don't have your whole life together. And so, integration doesn't mean that you don't have these pieces flying apart. Integration means you see the pieces and that you're working at recompiling and putting them together. But the crooked is one of those people that just exposed... In fact, uh, uh, you, you can talk to them and you can tell them, you know what? Uh, that thing hanging out of your nose right now is really ugly. What thing? I don't have anything right there. Look at it. You get them a mirror. They deny that it's there. You know what I'm talking about? There's this horrible, never mind, it's, uh, 
It's a terrible looking thing that's coming out. And they just will not look. You can show it to them and they'll say, no, I don't believe you. They're, 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 they're insecure. They live lives that are, that are filled with anxiety and disintegration. Okay? So the Word reveals our heart. Word shapes our heart. Who we are. The effect words have on ourselves. Now let's look real quickly at what we say to others. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's how we speak to others. Look at verse 11 very quickly. The mouth of the righteous is what? A fountain of life. Versus the wicked who bring violence and death. In other words, how you speak, how you talk. And this goes back to Proverbs 6. When he's describing the wicked and worthless man, Dr. Walke, who translated this from the Hebrews, the foremost Hebrew scholar in the world, Dr. Walke says a good word for the wicked and worthless man is an insurrectionist, an incendiary. And this is why weeks ago I told you, you know, there's, there's so much talk in our culture today that is incendiary and angry and polarizing. And, and I don't care who you are or how much you know that that's there. If you listen to it long enough, what does it do? You start to get mad too. Right? It affects us. And so we have to be careful what we hear. The wicked bring violence and death. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That doesn't mean that you go through life being naive. Some things need to be addressed directly. But at the same time, we have to be prudent and wise in how we use our speech. Look at the next one, verse 12. Hatred brings strife, that's division, versus love, which covers offenses. This is why when I, I have written the cone of certainty, I don't know how many times up on the board, folks. Begging you to recognize that there are some things that are worth dying for in Scripture. Other things you don't die for. Right? And there are some things that are of very low importance. The Bible itself shows us this. The Bible does not make everything of equal importance. And yet, particularly in churchy circles, people just want to shove everything up into the top of the cone and eventually it won't fit, so they turn the cone upside down and they make they make uh, ultimate things of everything and consequently you have lots of division in the church. And the Apostle Paul says some of those divisions, some of those heresies, that's the word for division in Greek, some of those are good because it shows who the approved and good people are like us. <laughs> you get the idea. I mean, you have to have divisions, otherwise how would you know the difference? And it takes a lot of Wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom. Hatred brings strife. Love. Look at the, this. Beautiful. You think the Gospel's not in the Old Testament? Wake up, folks. Love covers offenses. Love whose soul is dropping, dropping, dropping down into the pit of hell and your words can go down there like, like, a, a, like an iron-fisted arm and reach them and draw them back out of that fire. Yes? It can save them. Literally save them from destruction. So words are so uh, important. Love can cover and redeem and restore. Look at their ending wisdom, insight and discernment versus 
a lack of sense. In other words, the person who is speaking with wisdom brings light, insight, discernment. Speaking foolishly, they lack sense. They're bringing darkness and blindness. You've heard the saying, you know, we get into this conversation, there's more heat than light. Yes? Because we're just fighting. We're just fighting. And what a wise man will do is bring light and illumination. And the fool will bring darkness, blindness, and only the rod will open his eyes. Isn't that an interesting image? He's saying this person is so blind you could take a you could take a two by four and bang this person over the head and they still won't see. There's, why are you hitting me with that board? Well, it's because you're a fool. Well, stop hitting me with a board. Well, how about changing and not being a fool? No, no, I can't do that. Well, then I'm going to hit you with a board again. <laughs> do you see the image? Nothing will open their eyes. A rod is for the back of the fool. And look at the last one. Wisdom, knowledge, creates flourishing, building, life. Whereas the fool brings ruin, destruction, poverty. And so the the sage is saying, look, words can affect you in who you are, and it also affects others. And so we've got to be careful how we use our words. Let me give you one thing real quickly. Flattery, we think, oh, well, I'll just be an encourager and I'll just flatter everybody. I'll tell them everything they want to hear. Flattery and some kinds of encouragement are often manipulation. Did you hear me? Flattery is manipulation. You go up to the pastor, and of course I want you to do this, you go to the pastor and you say, you know, your words changed my life. That's saying too much. Isn't it? As much as I might like that, I can't. It's too much. Flattery and some kinds of encouragement are often simply manipulations to to gain power or approval from the person that you're trying to control. So you have to be careful how you use your words because flattery can be damaging. But blessings, on the other hand, a true blessing, listen to this, folks, it will revolutionize how you think. A blessing are words that are spoken wisely and with truth. And what will they do? They will not manipulate the other, but a blessing will confer onto the person power and approval. Do you see it? A blessing will tell them, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Things will be well with you, even though you may not be healed of that disease, or even though your child may not, you know, act the way you want, or even though your marriage may not be all you want it to be, God is for you, and all things will work together for your good. If you believe, if you see an ultimate and eternal perspective, if you keep your eyes on wisdom, these things will Uh, come together. Wisdom confers power, confers approval. It shares goodness, grace, fruitfulness, life, even in the face of death. Remember in the Old Testament, folks, even in the face of death, the patriarchs would do what to their children and the next generation? What would they do? They would call them to their deathbed, and what would the patriarchs do? They would reach out and touch them and bless them. They would confer the grace of God to the next generation. Do you see that? How important that is. The effect of words 
on ourselves and on others? What about the effect of words, God's Word on us? Where do we get all this from? And it comes from the effect of God's Word on you. In the Garden of Eden, I told you last week or week before, Adam and Eve are hiding and what does God say to them? Where are you not? What? I see you. If you don't get that, you don't understand the Gospel. I'll just say it. You cannot possibly understand the Gospel if you don't understand Him saying, where are you? Not, I see you. Because He did see them, and yet, He withheld judgment. And so Dr. Walke says this, and and I, I think that these words did change my life when I heard Him say it, but not completely. I had to actually embrace it. Righteousness as defined in the Old Testament in the ancient Near East, righteousness was doing what was right at your own expense. It had to cost you something to do what was right. In other words, if you're walking along and you find a $100 bill and you get it and there's nobody around, there's no way to know who it is and you put it in your pocket, that's, not, that, that's just, you just got to, you're lucky. In John Calvin's words. No. No, it's just, it's just you get money. You get money, somebody you know dropped it, it's your money. Blessing, righteousness, is doing what is right at your own expense. In other words, you, not, you don't find $100, you take $100 out of your pocket and you give it to someone in need. That's righteousness. That's the good Samaritan, doing what is right for somebody. All right? Whereas wickedness in the Old Testament was defined this way. And there's a lot of nuances, but I'm giving you the general gist. Witnesses was to benefit yourself at another's expense. In other words, it was wicked to take the $100 out of the person's pocket or purse or steal it from their desk. That's wicked. Because it's costing somebody. Righteousness and wicked. How does God's Word affect us? Listen, folks, how does it affect us? The narrative of the whole Bible is very simple. I gave it to you some months ago. Creation, chaos, and what? Anybody remember? Recreation. That is the storyline of the Bible. That's the narrative of the entire Scripture. Creation, chaos, recreation. How does God's Word affect You and I. Listen carefully and we'll end with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was without form, void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. God said, let there be light and there was light. That's creation. Chaos ensues in chapter 3 of Genesis. And recreation starts with this. Now hear the Word of God. Listen, folks. Open your eyes and see how God's Word affects you and the world around us. In the beginning, same words, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, listen, was life. And the life was the light of men. Do you see it? Life and light In the first creation, life and light in the new creation, the 
recreation. God's word, both his spoken word and his incarnate word. His son Jesus. His speaking life to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter said this, You've been born again, listen, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but by imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Our words bring life or death. God's words bring life or death. On the cross, Jesus Christ gave His life and the light that was in Him. The life died. The light was plunged into darkness so that you and I could be filled with life and light so that our words could be healing and health and a fountain of life to the world around us, both what we say to ourselves and what we say to others. Will you believe it? I hope you will. I hope you'll believe that. And start to think, let the Word of God be a mirror let your speech be a mirror, a reflection to you. How, what is my life? Filled with a fountain or death? You choose, and I hope you'll choose well. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. I know that our tongue, our speech is unwieldy. It's like a, a wild thing that we can hardly control. And yet I'm praying, oh Lord Jesus, that You will help us to curb of the things we say, both in our inner dialogue and to others, that we will start to think deeply before we speak and see if we cannot create words in our lives that will be salt and light to others, bring life and hope, a fountain of life. Please, we pray that you would do it in Christ's name. Amen.